Okay, so the Amazon marketplace is heating up. There's more products than ever. There's more revenue than ever. Roughly 3 billion visitors reach their website each month. So this ecosystem is thriving. This month, we're digging into all things commerce. This is one of our innovation blocks, which is around commerce evolution. So we wanted to dig into everything from marketing software to marketplace models, uh, direct to consumer, to uh, what's happening in brick and mortar, to everything from uh, logistics and warehousing tools that are out there on the market today. Now, what we know is 22% of sellers sell exclusively or earn their income exclusively on Amazon. And ultimately, how we view that stat is that 78% of sellers are doing other things, are focused in potentially other ways. And that means a razor-focused uh, seller or commercializing the Amazon ecosystem could potentially come in and build a business. This is why we are bringing Jake Barnett. He worked at two companies that focus purely on buying uh, Amazon sellers. And we think he can bring great insights into understanding who an Amazon seller is through the eyes of an Amazon buyer. And we wanted to welcome him to the series today. And I hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, great to be here. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I, I guess obviously just kick it off, share a little bit about your background uh, and kind of general introduction. Yeah, sure. Um, so my background is, is was traditionally in like enterprise sales um, for software, a lot of tech startups, you know, software as a service, uh, cloud early on back starting in like 2007, 2008, when, you know, it was just Salesforce kind of pioneering. Um, you know, my focus has always been kind of on customer acquisition. And um, a lot of what I did was, you know, selling to e-commerce um, vendors, you know, small, medium, large software packages ranging from, you know, a few thousand to six figures. A um, couple years ago, I came across this FBA aggregation roll-up um, idea in space, uh, was looking for kind of a pivot in my own career, something new, a new challenge, and um, came across Alpha Rock Capital, which was one of these early acquirers. Um, really just loved the space. Uh, I had always known a lot of kind of successful successful FBA business owners, as well as a lot of the ecosystem players, whether it's some software, tax, uh, marketing agencies in the space. So I'd always been excited about it, I, uh, but I never really had a way to get into it, but came across this idea to, to go out and purchase these businesses and thought that, hey, I can kind of combine my uh, ability to acquire customers to uh, the idea of deal flow and, and originating you know, M&A transactions for the space. So that was almost about two years ago now. Um, had a brief stint with Alpha Rock Capital. Uh, we did something like uh, four or five acquisitions of, of kind of six-figure sellers uh, when I was with them. Um, in December 2019, I joined Boosted Commerce, uh, their head of business development. Uh, spent a year with them. I actually just left uh, about a month ago. Um, but, you know, did a number of deals with Boosted. You know, they're one of these really exciting aggregators who've come into the space. They raised something like $87 million, uh, last year. You know, one of 10 or 15 others that have raised, you know, 10 to, to $100 million. So Boosted, right. you know, really exciting company. Um, just, you know, I just left them uh, about a month ago, and I've recently joined uh, a firm called Fortunate, which is a boutique investment bank focused on... FBA sellers and kind of helping them uh, prepare for sell and 
and maximize uh, their value when when they're exiting. So, you know, I've kind of um, switched teams to get onto the sell side, and you know, happy to kind of get into that. And there's a lot of dynamics in the space which uh, which have kind of influenced my decision. But it's been an incredible journey in the last two years, seeing you know this this idea of acquiring FBA businesses go from kind of niche and where a lot of people just didn't really know they could even sell their business to the point we're at now where, you know, a billion and a half in capital is, has rushed into this space, dozens of competitors. And um, yeah, like it's just a really hot market. It's a great time to be an FBA business owner. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I've been working on the last two years. Really excited to join Fortunate. And, you know, I love the idea of um, helping these small business owners, you know, maximize their value when they're looking at selling. I think it's a really interesting group um, of entrepreneurs. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of how, how a little bit about my journey and how I got into right. it. Um, another thing which I think kind of fits into this FBA ecosystem is, you know, I've been this digital nomad um, for about 10 or 11 years now, um, kind of early on. And uh, now it's this big trend, especially with COVID, everybody working from home, kind of been freed from that, you know, the need to be into the office. But uh, I've lived in like five or six countries. I now speak something like three languages. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, spent a lot of time in in Asia and the Philippines. I spent a lot of time in Latin America and in, in Argentina, Colombia, and Brazil. And um, yeah, it's great to like uh, you know, gr great to have this community of digital nomads, which I've seen just kind of progress from you know travel bloggers that were just making a few bucks to now where you have, you know, eight figure Amazon sellers, you've got some really successful SaaS businesses that have just started, you know, from from their beginning as, um, you know, digital first, you know, no office type companies. So um, that for me, I look at as kind of like future of, of being an entrepreneur. Uh, so it's been cool being part of that community and, and seeing that develop as well. Um, yeah, where are you at now? Where are you located now? Currently in Mexico City. Nice. Really cool, beautiful, uh, beautiful city. Um, it's nice getting a little mix of the, you know, culture, uh, the restaurants as much as we can with these COVID restrictions. But yeah, I've been in Mexico the last few months off and on, and it's, it's a, it's an awesome place. Yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying exploring it. Nice. Yeah. So let's, uh, dig a little bit into what, what maybe the typical seller looks like, um, from the seat you were sitting in, um, what what is a typical Amazon seller um, in your eyes? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, there's kind of a few profiles which I think kind of like overlap each other. Um, one thing that I've I've seen a lot of and I really love is these family combinations. So, uh, husband wife combos, um, father son, you know, those types of teams. You know, it's really an owner operator. So these are not, you know, big organizations. I think one of the things that attracted a lot of people into FBA was the kind of just, you know, minimalist operating model. Um, FBA does a lot of the work for you. A lot of it's digital. You know, you don't have the overhead. So I think what attracted a lot of people into the space was the idea of, you know, not having a boss, not having an office, working from wherever you want. So you get a lot of the digital nomads. Um, I've seen a lot of people that were, you know, kind of working corporate and looking to escape it. Um, one thing that I've seen, it's just kind of a characteristic across a lot of these really successful sellers is, you know, this kind of hacker mentality 
Um, Amazon FBA, you know, still very new, growing fast. Amazon always kind of changing the, the rules of the game. So, you know, all these people kind of have a hacker mentality where they've figured out, you know, how to work within the black box of Amazon FBA and, and how to make it really successful. Um, but yeah, I've seen, I've talked to anybody from uh, uh, one seller who was like 22, sold his business for $5 million, uh, a deal that I would have loved to have, but, you know, he, he really got a top valuation to a, a guy that was like, I think 70 making like a million dollars a year profit and just, you know, enjoying, enjoying the ride and doing, doing the advertising and all that. So it's a diverse, um, it's, it's like a diverse group, but it's, it hasn't been corporate, but you're seeing a lot more groups come in, whether they're aggregators or whether they're like people building businesses organically on Amazon and then just kind of, you know, building them to the point where they have to create the, the corporate infrastructure. Right. What do you think is the, um, right, this is like 3.0, 2.0, whatever uh, .0 we want to frame it as. Um, in some cases, I've heard like 5.0, right, where you're going back almost 20 plus years um, of building this this ecosystem out. What do you think was the, the biggest kind of um, roadblock for some of these sellers? Was it just uh, kind of like personal um, decisions, right? I, I don't necessarily want to build anything other than this single product and kind of uh, work within your own lane versus I'm trying to build kind of um, uh, a, a arsenal of products and categories and, and honestly commercialize and professionalize uh, the operations. And essentially beyond that, and we, we have more conversations regarding this is these other tools, right, that really allow and empower either commercialized sellers, professional sellers to come in and use kind of these pieces that are being built, whether it's um, third-party on-demand warehousing and logistics, right? Everything was in one ecosystem at one at one point, but we're starting to see the early roots of and sprouts of the potential of moving outside and not even moving outside, but at least controlling your own destiny within the ecosystem. And that means maybe mm -hmm. fulfilling on your own, maybe creating and manufacturing on your own, warehousing on your own. Um, but at the end of the day, what do you think it was? Is that some of the roadblocks that maybe that individual that was making maybe a million a year? Yeah, I mean, um, interesting question. I think um, if you look at the platforms like Amazon and and before it, you know, like Facebook with their advertising ecosystem and and Google with with SEO and PPC, um, you know, they really leveled the playing field. First of all, you know, you didn't need to have a warehouse, you didn't need to you know, building a website, bringing in all those customers, all were just super expensive, you know, capital um, intensive like operations. So, you know, they, they leveled the playing field and then they also opened up these, you know, huge new markets. Um, I, I That's also one of the things that kind of turned me on to, to FBA and the roll up is, you know, I saw a lot of those similarities in, like I said, with, with Facebook and with Google, where you had this ecosystem of entrepreneurs that were just rushing in. Um, to, to this whole new market, you know, where I think at first it was just the, you know, first person there kind of got it and was successful. You know, they, they put up a website on Google, they started ranking, they didn't have to spend any money on ads. And then, you know, the money just started coming in. I think that, I think that was similar with a lot of the FBA businesses at the beginning. People just found a niche. A lot of times, I think sellers will admit it. The way that they look at product categories and niches is just you know, trying, they're going to try a hundred things and five of them hopefully are going to work. So, you know, they were just trying to find unexploited niches. Um, 
and be that first mover and get that kind of review count, review moat up and going. Um, certainly like, you know, five, six, seven years ago, I think Amazon really democratized, uh, democratized it with FBA, making it easy to, you know, get customers and get product to them. It's interesting now because I think we're seeing a little bit of like the opposite happening. Um, you know, Amazon is in some ways making it more difficult for new sellers to get onto the platform. They're making it more difficult to launch new products. For example, uh, if you launch a new listing, you can only inbound 200 units into, into FBA when you start. So, I mean, that's nothing for most, for most sellers. So, you know, it's, it's re they've really made it a lot more difficult, which I think is making it more important for, you know, those third-party systems and services that you mentioned, you know, especially like 3PLs where you can do fulfilled by merchant. Um, you know, it, it's just overall, Amazon's making it more difficult. I think they have good reasons for it. They want to control their platform. They, they don't want as many junk sellers. But it's becoming kind of less democratized and harder, I think, for, uh, you know, the seller to kind of get in there and um, ju just do it through FBA. But it's been really cool seeing the ecosystem of, of these um, third-party services, software, um, et cetera, coming in and, and helping the space. And like you said, I think, uh, I think that, you know, in the end, it's, it's helping to build more sustainable businesses where you're not just relying on Amazon you know, walmart.com is really helping there too. Shopify, you can get the diversification on both sales as well as supply chain, et cetera. For sure. Even eBay. I mean, we heard uh, eBay yeah. report earnings recently and while it's, uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's considered very legacy and kind of old school in nature uh, in terms of the, either the buyer or the seller base. Um, they do have a lot of interesting things going on there from a um, uh, product development side and making it easier for that seller to onboard. So, uh, Kind of going back to the the professional investors uh, uh, stepping in here, what what do they see um, from from your eyes, or what did you see? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I think what what got a lot of people excited at the beginning, you know, two three years ago, you have somebody like Thrasio, you know, the 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 elephant in the room that only started two two or three years ago. I think it was multiples, really. I think it was valuations. You know, you could get these businesses that were growing fifty percent year over year. 20, 30% plus margins, and you can get them for a two or a three times, you know, last, last 12 months EBITDA, you know, that's a, that's a great, great deal kind of regardless of, of the industry or the business, I think. Um, on top of that, of course, you know, you've got the trends in the space. Amazon is, you know, growing as a percentage of e-commerce and e-commerce is growing as a percentage of retail. Um, so that's really, I think, what's, what's interesting to, to most of these investors is relatively low multiples, although we've seen that go up a lot. And just thinking, hey, you know, this is the future of commerce. It's going to be, you know, some combination of e-commerce, FBA, you know, select brick and mortar. But, you know, this is kind of where the puck is is going to be. And I think uh, that that's what's attracting a lot of these investors into this space. Yeah. yeah. Where did you see... Um... Most of the selling coming from is it the uh, is it the fifty million dollar kind of cohort of uh, revenue generators annually or is it the um, and and I'm talking about the seller level, not necessarily the product level, but the uh, the seller level or was it the an arsenal of of million dollar sellers? Um, um, kind of where was the original? I guess yeah, maybe if, if you take us back two years, you, you look at who was selling originally, who's selling now, um, and kind of probably multiple pressures 
uh, in terms of exit multiples for these sellers? Is the pressure more on the lower end or the higher end? Um, why I bring that up? Because obviously recently we saw a couple acquisitions, one at three and a half or 3.8 times EBITDA. Um, we've also heard of, of, of uh, multiples higher than that in, in certain categories or spaces. Kind of what's driving the difference potentially within maybe higher, lower sellers type of product, not type of product, um, and what, what you saw and what you're seeing there? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, even in the last two years, I think you've seen the, you know, the number of businesses on Amazon that are doing, let's say, a million dollars plus sales increased a lot, especially with the pandemic. Um, you know, I got in originally with Alpha Rock Capital, who was kind of focused on folks that were doing around two hundred to five hundred thousand dollars, you know, yearly sales. So these were smaller deals than what a lot of the folks are looking for now. Um, I think most of the investors, though, are not looking for those. 30, 40, 50 million dollar players that are kind of focused on Amazon. There are some of those folks, and it's been amazing seeing some of these groups just grow organically to, you know, that size just on Amazon. Um, but I think the sweet spot most of the buyers are looking for is kind of that one to $10 million um, annual revenue range with that kind of 20, 30, 40% um, profit margins. Um, it seems to be a sweet spot, you know, for uh, for a couple reasons. I think one of the main ones is just that, you know, once you get to that ten million dollar plus um, annual sales, it really becomes a, a, a real company rather than just the owner operator. Um, it requires a lot more sophistication. It's going to require more staff. It's going to require more compliance. You're going to have to be active on a lot of different channels, including Amazon International, as well as you know all these Walmart, Etsy, etc. Um, so I think there's just kind of a philosophical breaking point there where a lot of these sellers, what made them successful getting to one to 10 million in annual sales is not the same skill set that is going to get them from 10 to 50. So I think that drives a lot of these folks to look at selling. Um, they simply don't have the desire or the capability or the capacity to, to want to go and, and build it into a $50 million company. I think that's most of them. A lot of them, they say, hey, let's look at selling. Let's, what I'm good at, what I enjoy doing is building a brand and uh, let me sell it and I'll take that money and I'll go do it again. And, and I'll sell that one another year or two. Interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay, that makes sense, right? Because we've seen around like a billion dollars of capital raised in this space, maybe a little higher now. Uh, every week that goes by, you hear some funding round. Um, yeah. And that would make more sense, obviously, as as uh, deal sizes get bigger from a uh, capital raising perspective for the acquirers, um, that simply the, the checks could get bigger. Therefore, potentially the pressures kind of in that, that $1 to $10 million revenue ballpark, um, where a lot of the capital is probably uh, at least starting out, mm -hmm. right? New capital, raising $100 million. If they're paying, um, uh, let's just say, one times revenue in this case. Um, they would have to, obviously that'd be a 10% piece of their book, um, that they would have to, uh, allocate yeah. out so that firm's probably starting in the, the one to $5 million range, right. With their first couple acquisitions, I suppose. Um, yeah. Now, like what's interesting here is that this is all taking place, at least this kind of acceleration, it seems, uh, during COVID, COVID right. At the kind of back half of COVID, uh, or hopefully it's the back half, but, um, <laughs> that, that it, it is taking place now. Why do you think, uh, kind of probably stepping back and thinking about what were the effects in general that you saw within the community and, and ecosystem and, and potentially why is it happening now and accelerating now, as opposed to 
maybe um, a year ago or two years ago. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was surfacing behind the scenes, but at the same time, what's taking place? Is it that unlock of the international? Is it just the realization that Amazon does matter? And um, it, it's, it's kind of locked itself in as kind of the, the leader in the space, considering what they did over the last uh, uh, 12 months in 2020. Like, what, what mm-hmm. are you seeing uh, ha- as COVID as being kind of what seems to be this, this unlock of, uh, of interest in, and capital to the space? Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like the perfect storm, kind of all the things that you just mentioned. So, you know, I think that interest was, you know, building and I I imagine that some of the big players were, you know, they were active before um, before COVID. So these things were already happening. But, you know, we just saw such a massive shift to buying online, buying Amazon, people relying on Amazon for their everyday, you know, life and, and, you know, purchases. So. I think it's just this kind of perfect storm where, you know, it was going to happen anyways. And COVID, you know, like so many things, it just sped up the timeline by five, 10 years. I remember coming into it and and hearing about Alpha Rock and what they were doing and the multiples they were paying. And I said, this is too good to be true. It's going to happen quick. You know, let's, you got to move fast. And it happened a lot quicker than I expected. You know, COVID certainly, certainly um, made that happen faster, but yeah, it's um, just this combination of, you know, um, a lot of like new money coming into the space. I mean, rates are super low. People are chasing returns. And um, Amazon's where the, where's the, where the growth is at. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then obviously we've shifted forward. So what, like the next three, five years, what, what, what do you expect in the space? Or yeah, Amazon, um, where are they headed uh, in, in your view? Uh, they're probably two distinct things, but... They're, 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 they kind of overlap in terms of direction. Yeah. Like a few things that I'd like, I'm looking forward to that. I'd love to see like walmart.com is one of them where I think I, I see more and more and more folks that are, you know, being successful on Walmart and that's growing kind of slowly, but steadily. I've seen some folks that I, I just talked to a seller the other day that, you know, 2019 was hundred percent FBA 2020 he's 20% walmart.com. So you know, I think that is something that personally I'm I'm looking forward to seeing because you know, a lot of these a lot of these owners of businesses are just held captive to Amazon, and it can be a tough tough thing. So, you know, that's one thing that I'm I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, you know, continue. It's interesting with the whole acquisition space. I mean, there's been so much money coming in, and there's so many different players that are going after what's kind of the a limited set of deals. You know, there's varying numbers or estimates of of how many sellers are doing like over a million in sales on Amazon, probably somewhere in the range of like 10 to 30,000, kind of depending on the profile. You know, how many of those are going to be for sale at any given time is, is some fraction of it. So you have a billion and a half dollars in capital and, and 30, 40, 50 buyers that are all chasing these same deals. So, you know, certainly have seen multiples rise. I think that's only going to continue. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see in the next 12 to 24 months what happens with a lot of those players. Some of them are going to fail. You know, how many of those are going to end up, you know, having to fire sale their portfolio? Is that going to are we going to see a drop in multiples because of it, um, because of some of these folks failing? Or are we going to is it just going to keep exploding to where, you know, we saw a, a two to three multiple a year ago? Now it's something like four to six. And is it going to go up, you know, just keep going up. So I'd love to, 
I'd love to be able to predict that. Uh, those are, I, I think I, I think those are the two options. I'm not sure which way it'll go. I think it, it could happen either way. Right. No, that makes sense. And, and digging a little deeper in terms of, um, when, when you guys were making these acquisitions, right. It was, it was, what were we looking for outside of just uh, multiple and, and kind of margins, right. It was, you yeah. know, we, we have the concept of kind of di- digital real estate, digital shelf space that, that, you spoke about it a little bit before is that, that kind of review product listing mode, mm-hmm. like what were you looking at specifically in that? And, and, and in addition to is once you have a product or, or a suite of products, what was the focus there? Was it to drive more products across the suite, across the brand? Was there ever a thought of, Hey, this could be a standalone product and really go direct to consumer through uh, traditional marketing channels, uh, Google, Facebook, things like that. Be able to carry its own weight on its own, let's say, uh, website, Shopify, something mm-hmm. like that. Like, what what was the the thinking internally? Yeah, um, I think that if you could just point to one single thing, it would be the review mode. And this is the concept that you know you have substantially more and better reviews than your direct competitors. That is one of the biggest you know influencers in terms of your ranking on Amazon. And of course, the higher your rank, the the more sales that you you're going to get. So. It's one of the only kind of tangible things that when you're looking at acquiring one of these Amazon brands that that you can actually go and acquire and, and have some degree of certainty that that will you know stay the same. Amazon has made it much more difficult to fake reviews. They've also taken away a lot of reviews from from bad actors, from people that were were, were doing you know techniques that weren't terms of service compliant. So you know I think that's the if you could point to one thing, it would say hey. We want a, a product that has more and better reviews, substantially more than their competitors, because that you know is going to be harder for new entrants to to come and overtake you on. Maybe they can beat you on price. It's pretty competitive. There's a lot of different variables, but you know the one thing you can really buy is these um, is is the reviews. So you know I think that that's something that's spread across category or business case. It could be something that's a not sexy household good, you know, uh, um, a frying pan, whatever it might be, where you're not going to look at building that into a, a, you know, a brand. Um, It's really just a product. The aggregators, I think, are more than happy to have it. That's kind of their bread and butter. At the same time, I've seen a lot of deals where it's an FBA first brand. That's where they got their start Um, in areas like health and beauty, children, pet, where you know, they come to market and the buyers get really excited for exactly what you just said. They say, hey, they're killing it on FBA. Let's see how do we expand there, you know, whether it's UK, EU, et cetera. Um, and then how do we, you know, launch this on Shopify? How do we make it into a real quote unquote brand where, you know, there's, it, it's a whole different use case. Maybe, you know, spin that off at some point, but really grow it from a two, three, five X business to saying, hey, how do you, double, triple sales, and then, you know, look at a eight to 10 X multiple on, on exit, something like that. So that I think really excites the, the um, buyers, the aggregators, those types of situations, but they're, you know, not the, not most of the businesses on, on Amazon. And, um, you know, when they come to market there, there's a lot of interest. So they're, they're, they're hard deals to land. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that speaks to a little bit of a, uh, when you think of the moat, right? Um, again, just emphasizing what you said is, is my original stats at the, uh, at the beginning of this, 78% of uh, sellers are, are doing other things. Um, 
And what does that ultimately mean? If you, if you try to like dig that back, you, you think about uh, if you do have a, a top ranking product and it's selling and it's kind of on autopilot, um, it, it's really hard to, to, to drive sales above it uh, or take uh, uh, kind of search results above it uh, as this product before you or, or number one, two or three, four or five um, has already established position and, and is already going through kind of the Amazon FBA kind of ecosystem of that flywheel. Um, so that's a, yeah, that says a lot for sure. I don't know if, yeah. if there was anything out there that you thought was like super interesting that you guys acquired, uh, or anything else, um, uh, that you, you missed on that you, you wished you owned and it was more like the, the a cool product with a cool brand. Yeah. Um, I'd say my favorite overall business was this, this one that I mentioned earlier, this, this, um, this guy who's like 70 living in California, never wants to retire, doesn't want to sell his business cause he's loving it. And this is one where it was like a, um, the guy had like a tooth replacement. So if you lost a tooth, you could put the, you could put it in and like, it was cheaper and easier than going and getting dentures or whatever it might be. It's a weird product. It's one that I hope I won't have to use anytime soon, but this guy was just killing it. You know, his margins were like 50% plus on Amazon. I was like, how do you do that? You know, Amazon fees are usually half, you know, half that. Um, and he was just, he was growing so fast and he was, you know, working on it, but it wasn't a 50 hour job for him. Um, you know, I just thought that was like one of the coolest businesses. I wish I could have convinced him to sell, uh, tried to go after the deal. Uh, but he, he's, he's living his, you know, he's living his best life. Um, that was one that's really cool. I mean, the super cool part about what I've been doing is I've seen so many deals. I've probably talked to like 500 sellers in the last two years um, and kind of gotten to know a lot of them intimately with their financials and just personally as well. And seen a lot of really cool businesses. Um, there's this one scooter business that, that went to market last year that it's like a razor scooter um, uh, alternative, really, you know, just super successful business. These are some ultra Orthodox Jewish guys in Brooklyn that just absolutely killing it. That was a deal everybody wanted. Um, in the end, the guy, you know, really, really got a great price for it. That, that was one where I think we, we would have loved to have had it. Um, and that I think is one where, you know, it's not just a product on Amazon. It's one where I think buyers were looking to say, Hey, how do we turn this into a real brand? You know, how do we really make this one blow up? Like, like you were saying, yeah, I've seen a lot of really cool businesses. Cool. Yeah. Those are, uh, the first one's definitely interesting to say the least. Um, nice. Where, uh, we'll, we'll end there. I think that's a good uh, place to end. Uh, where can people find obviously more information about you, uh, kind of anything that you wanted to share before kind of you head out? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I love connecting on LinkedIn, Jake Barnett, um, look me up there. Um, you know, if you're, if you're an FBA business owner, you know, please check out Fortunet, fortunet.net, you know, love to, to talk to you if, you know, about whatever, shoot, shoot the crap and see how I can help you maximize value. And, uh, yeah. Um, appreciate you having me on really fun discussion. And, uh, yeah, I, lo I love talking about that. Nice. Well, I appreciate uh, sharing with us and yeah, appreciate coming on and we'll be in touch. Cool. Sounds good. See you, Sean.